Hey everyone, welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, and thank you so much for listening and subscribing to our show. It's been so killer in the last year and a half to have so many people uh, get so much benefit from arguably the greatest sales leaders in the world. And as we mentioned earlier, the very first 10 episodes, I'm, I'm convinced that the reason we got off to such a fast start was our first 10 episodes were just such great leaders. Great practitioners. Some you knew, some you didn't know. And now we have over 150,000 downloads. We have 20,000 downloads happening now on a monthly basis. Uh, every week, it's thousands and thousands of people listening to the greatest leaders in the world. But those first 10, sometimes it's hard to get back to see those. So they're so good. We've made a decision to start layering them back in. And so um, I'm bringing you episode number three today. It's Travis Huff from Wayfair. Uh, Wayfair is somebody that you probably are familiar with. You've probably bought something for your office, or your home from it. If you haven't, you should. Uh, tis the season right now uh, and, and go check them out. But Travis is a great salesman. He's become a great friend. Uh, I get to work with him on a number of levels right now. This gentleman uh, gave such great knowledge bombs in this one. This is one you're going to want to listen to. If for no other reason, this is a guy that from scratch took uh, basically a retail business and then built a billion-dollar uh, company very, very quickly inside of Wayfair. So he runs the B2B sales org for Wayfair, and it's, it's growing fast. They do amazing things. Uh, I've been on site and seen how Travis runs things. They use killer technology. But what I really love is his commitment to one-on-one -on -one coaching. There's a couple things that I think you ought to watch for. Number one, Travis is the one who brought the idea to me of the one-on-one -on -one is the one time a leader ought to have a meet. I mean, I'm sorry, a rep ought to have a meeting that they know it's 100% about their development. You know, they should never wonder what you're going to talk about. It's going to be them. The second thing that I think you're going to get that was really meaningful to me from Travis is he lays out a blueprint for how you can help younger or less skilled reps be just as successful as the more experienced and more tenured reps. So with that, I want to reintroduce Travis Huff. If you aren't connected with him on LinkedIn, go connect with him. Uh, reach out to him. Hit him up. He, he has great insights when it comes to running sales teams. He's a great friend. He's one of the great sales leaders I've met, and I'm happy to bring you uh, – Travis Huff, we're going to run it again. Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders discuss high-growth tactics and practices. Today we're joined by Travis Huff, Director of B2B Sales for Wayfair. Wayfair is one of the largest online home and office suppliers in the world, but under Travis's leadership, they keep growing like a startup. His division revenue has grown 100% year-over-year the past two years, and as a result, Wayfair was one of the top 10 fastest-growing stocks in 2017. Travis, my man, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm uh, really excited to be on the show with you. Well, let's let's uh, hit it hard. Let's get it going. These things always yeah. go fast. But I want to start by giving the opportunity to tell our listeners, you know, just the high level, who's Wayfair, what do you do, and, what, and what's your role there? 
Yeah, so uh, everybody's uh, probably heard of Wayfair or uh, your significant other has probably purchased something on Wayfair. But uh, the B2B side of our business, really what we do is we make good spaces great for companies, uh, places that their employees and their customers absolutely love. So basically, once the drywall's up in a space, uh, we cover everything from floor to ceiling. So uh, fast, fast-growing company, the B2B division's doing great. Uh, we're going to have a banner banner year this year uh, as a division we're going to do 1.2 billion so uh, we're we're really excited about that Woo! that's a lot of zeros travis that's a lot that of zeros, zeros man i like it but you know when you have that many zeros it's fun to talk about when you hit it but the, but there's a lot of pressure to make sure that those zeros get hit isn't there yeah i mean uh we're we're always looking at where we're going um you know we have specific forecasts that we have to meet and so um there's there's a lot of uh transition and a, a lot of uh, moving around to make sure that we get get where we need to be for sure all right so i know you a little bit we've met uh, a couple times and we've talked for a little bit one of the mm-hmm. things that strikes me about you and one of the reasons that you are a must uh a must be on our our, our show person was I'm really, really impressed with how you've scaled up this B2B division of Wayfair. And you don't talk about that uh, billion-dollar-plus target with fear and trepidation. You do it with a lot of swagger. What's the secret? How have you, how have you been able to scale this up and, and know that you guys are on a pathway that's going to get you where you want to go? Well, I think, I mean, one, we, we have great people, and we've we've really focused on – uh, hiring great people. And, uh, that was one of the first things, uh, when, when I arrived at Wayfair that we looked at and we, we knew that we needed. So, you know, Wayfair was a, a very big company on the B2C side and, uh, B2B was really kind of a startup inside of this, this larger monster. And so, um, you know, we needed to find the right people that wanted to hold on to this vision of where, of where we were going. And so we really went out and we found people that were, um, high in excitement and we found people that were, uh, had a ton of potential as salespeople, but because of our industry, it's not like the tech industry per se where, you know, your, your margins are, are really high. So we were, we were finding a lot of salespeople that were new into the sales role. And so with that, we knew what we had, what we had to do was we had to train really well and we had to coach constantly to you know, our, our most important principles and guidelines and sales model. And we had to do that over and over and over. And so because of the way that we're, we're situated, um, we are really a learning organization and we continually do that. So coaching aspect for us is, is huge. And we have to be great at that aspect. And our, our leaders especially have to be great at, at coaching to those principles. So you just made a really interesting statement. I want to push pause for a second and not just blow past that. You talked about how you were aware that you were hiring people. As you scaled this giant company, but it's a startup inside a giant company, you knew you were hiring people that were not just new to Wayfair and not just new to Wayfair B2B, but in some cases, new to sales. Um, that's a pretty interesting uh, intentional decision to make. What, what was driving that? Well, I think what was driving it, one, was, you know, our, our compensation model. And so I think in reality, we were not going to compete in, in the market with, 
um, a lot of, a lot, you know, we weren't going to go steal tech companies, best salespeople, right? We, we just, we weren't going to be able to compete uh, on a compensation level there. So, you know, what we did is we looked at, you know, the people coming into the industry um, and we really looked at people that had high potential. And that's what we were, we were really good at. We said, if we can find people <laughs> with high potential, people that are really excited, and we can put behind them this training model uh, and this sales model and then coach to those principles relentlessly, um, we're going to be able to scale these people up into very, very productive salespeople in, in a short period of time. And I think we've done a, a really good job with that. We're, you know, we're still working on that, still looking at how you onboard these reps uh, more effectively, but I think that's been a model that's worked really well for us. So I clearly has, you guys have, you guys are at 350 reps and growing and you're growing fast. Um, and you're doing it with people that you say, we're going to go ahead and, and create a way that you could be successful. You've talked about coaching. I want to spend a lot of time on that. As you look through, um, how you onboarded them and got them to the point where they're customer ready and they're ready to get on the phones and, and, and talk to people. Was there anything that jumped out because you've gotten them ramped pretty fast? What like, could you anything that sticks out to you is here's one or two key non-negotiables that we found really accelerated that time to productivity. Yeah, I think I mean one is our sales activity metrics. So, um, you know, when I first arrived at Wayfair, one of the things that I wanted to figure out was you know how well were we doing as an organization on outbound um, calling, right? And so we looked at, and we took a metric, and I just said, arbitrarily, I want to know how many connections per rep per day um, are we making across the organizations? And we defined a, a connection as a three-minute outbound call. So three minutes just simply because you're probably getting past a voicemail, you're probably past the gatekeeper. You're having some kind of a conversation with somebody and directionally is telling us you're, you're having this, this conversation that's moving the ball forward. So when I first got here, we were, we were actually making only 2.4 connections per day per rep. So we were highly inbound. We were just waiting for the phone to ring. And so the very first thing we did is we, we, we flipped that and we said, we're going to require, you know, that, that we're making, you know, 35 attempts. Um, nine connections and, and five presentations per day. And so we really started driving. So today we, we actually average around 45 attempts per day, around 11 connections per day, uh, and around three, uh, presentations per day. So when you look wow. at that value of those connections, um, we really started to drive the revenue very fast, but that, that was a, you said non-negotiable. That was absolutely a non-negotiable. It was kind of a keep your job number. And I know people hate that term sometimes, but it's just a minimum for us. So that's a minimum. And, and we just feel if you're coming into our organization, you have to accept our culture and our culture is very outbound. Uh, we want to have a really good relationship with our customers and we want to provide a ton of value and we provide more value and we find that we do when we're making the outreaches and, and really helping the customer move their business along. So that was a big one for us, the, the sales activity metrics. Love it. That, I, I love, I love both of those. I, I, I have this belief that transformational results require transformational activities. And for you to start with changing the activities, uh, I, I think is genius because a lot of times I think people, start to look at other things. And I love how you did that. You, you really flipped that. That's a big shift from 2.4 connects to your nine as a minimum. Now that's, that's outstanding. 
Well, and what, um, what's really what's really interesting about that is that you know I think a lot of organizations look at their minimum. So you walk into an organization and they have these minimums, and everybody is being coached to those particular minimums. And I think the one thing that we, that we've done really differently than a lot of companies is even though we have those minimums, we actually use particular metrics that give a particular minimum for each individual rep. So you may have a rep that's very, very skilled, um, has very high quality calls and, you know, their minimum per day on a connection, maybe nine, but somebody else, because maybe they're newer to the organization and are not up to speed on the sales model or the product and, and what we provide, um, their individual metrics and numbers may tell us that to hit their goals, they need to be at 12 or 15 or 16 connections per day. So when you walk into our sales floor, you will see people working their day towards their individual metrics. So somebody may hit their metrics at nine and somebody else may have to hit their metrics at 16. And so a lot of people will say, well, that's unfair. And, you know, our response is, well, life's not fair. So certainly isn't fair. You know, somebody's going to win. You know, some, somebody's, somebody's going to lose, but if we know individually where I need to be, the, the, the beautiful thing about that is we have reps that may be less skilled than other reps, but they're competing at the same level from a revenue standpoint. Um, yes, they're making more connections per day. They're working harder, but you can be at the same place as your top earners without actually um, having the same skill set. Um, so we, we just drive those metrics on an individual basis. And I think that's really been the key for us in, in really maximizing, uh, our revenue growth. That's a great story. And I, I think that that takes us to a great, uh, a, a next, next natural place is you are focused on individual metrics, which I think is the only way to do it. Uh, and we've had that conversation, Travis. I don't think that coaching and I don't think that leadership is saying here's the averages. I don't think it's saying kind of here's what the average dog at the, at the shop does. I think the coaching is only about connecting to an individual. Nobody cares where they are. They just care about what's the path to winning. How have you built a coaching culture at Wayfair to help support that? Cause as you've grown, it sounds like you're only interested in the individual path rather than the average path. How have you done that? Well, I think, you know, when, when I, when I got to Wayfair, we, we didn't have really a coaching model. I, I think a lot of companies talk about coaching and we coach, but they don't really have a system for it. Um, and so, you know, from a sales leadership standpoint, we, we went to our L and D team and, um, we really worked with them on building a model for our coaching. Um, you know, and, and, you know, without going into a bunch of detail, it basically requires leaders to have a certain number of coaching sessions per week and per month with their reps. And, and we divide those coaching sessions up into strategic coaching sessions and skill sessions. So strategic are kind of the big, big chunks, the big blocks, you know, identifying the behaviors that need to be fixed. And then the skills are all related to that behavior that, that you're trying to fix. And so when we started implementing that, um, that, that was really important. But, but what we knew we had to do is we had to marry the sales model with the sales activity metrics. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, our sales model is engage, identify, solve, close. And so we wanted to be able to coach to what we call the lowest form of broken behavior. Um, and that was really interesting because I think a lot of times you find coaches and organizations that they're just randomly coaching to different topics. And, and we knew, for example, in our engage, which is the first 
step in our sales model that we have what we call a seven second open. And that's really, really important that you need to be able to have a really good conversation and engage the customer. So they'll give you the right to earn their time. And um, so we, when we know that that's broken and we can see that because the attempts to connections ratio is, is really low. Um, then we coach to that particular behavior. And, and we have a saying in, in our organization that coach the lowest form of broken behavior because there's really no reason to be coaching anybody on how to close better when they can't even get a seven second <laughs> done. And, and yeah. I mean, they're not earning the right to have enough conversations, closing conversations. They're, they're not getting enough people to even want to listen to, to their, uh, their sales pitch. Um, so, so marrying the coaching with our sales activity metrics in the sales model and identifying what that lowest form of behavior is has been really key for us in doing that. So as I, as I listen to you and, and you know, I, I, I work with organizations on coaching every day. And so I love listening to your philosophy on this and the way you've operationalized it, Travis, because it sounds like that's your best way of making sure it's an impact oriented conversation. I found that the reason that many many times reps feel like I'm not getting coaching, I'm just getting managed or inspected, and leaders are saying, "Well, I'm doing the coaching because we're talking about getting to your number." Yeah, is this one of your ways of making sure that you never want a rep to leave feeling like I, I got inspected? You know that whole inspect what you expect. That sounds yep. good, but nobody likes having that done to them. How have you helped your 350 and growing reps look to coaching as something like this is strategic rather than a necessary evil? Uh, you know, I mean, that's a good question. And, and, and I, you know, I can't say that, that we've done that perfectly because I think once you're instituting or, or, or implementing a new coaching uh, philosophy, um, one, there's a lot of training that goes into your <clears throat> manager to drive that coaching behavior. Um, and so I think a lot of them go into it kind of looking at it as a management tool instead of using it as a leadership tool. And, and I think one of the things we constantly talk about with our leaders is, you know, coaching sessions should be the one time that your reps come into that meeting and know without a doubt that this is totally about them the individual, the rep, and it's about helping them get better and helping them achieve their goals. And so if you go into a coaching session and you muddy the waters by talking about corrective action or putting people on corrective plans, all of a sudden coaching starts to lose its effectiveness because somebody comes in and they don't know, is this a corrective action? Is this I'm not doing things right? You know, we, we want all of our reps to know, hey, this is a coaching session, so this is going to be one, a, a really safe environment for me to understand what I'm doing well and what I can do to get better. But most importantly, how am I going to get to the goals that I need to get to so I can make more money for me and my family? We we just really believe if you're helping the individual achieve their goals and get what they want in their life, all the numbers for the organization are going to take care of themselves. I love that. And so has it been hard to train the managers then to be authentic with that, that purpose? Uh, because I think that if you get those managers, if you got – as many reps as you have, there's, you know, several dozen leaders uh, leading these people. I have to imagine that you spend a lot of time teaching those managers. How are you authentic and having this be 100% about them? Any things you've learned along the way on, on how you get those managers to take that perspective? Um, well, I, I think one one thing I've learned is you, you can't launch a coaching practice in your organization and then 
launch it and then just walk away from it and assume that it's happening the way that you want it to happen. And so one of the things that we implemented early on was a coach to coach program. Hmm. And so what we did is we really took, you know, high value coaches, people that understood the philosophy, what we were trying to do. And then they would just plant themselves in a room with the manager and the coachee and they would just be a fly on the wall and they would observe. And, and, and after that coaching session, the manager and, and the coach uh, would sit there and talk about how did that session go? And, you know, I think the rep was trying to tell you this and you kind of blew past it. And, you know, you were kind of leading the witness here and telling them what to do. And isn't there more value in having them find the answers and won't they have more buy-in? And so I think as we continued to do that, people started to realize, oh, yeah, I, I can do this a different way. And it really is important to the organization. So we're we're still heavily involved in, in that aspect of it. And I think every time you bring on a new batch of managers, it's you got to do the same thing. And, and we forget sometimes when we implement something, we we do this big push initially, and then six months later, a year later, you have a whole new batch of people that that weren't a part of that excitement and that drive. Yes. So you all have to keep going back. And when I say we're a learning organization, we always want to keep going back to the front of the sales model and great openings and you know everything that, everything that we need to do. We're trying so to be very competitive. I'm going to stay in coaching now. So what's the biggest challenge you faced in creating this world-class coaching approach at Wayfair? I mean, we, we haven't been able to dive too much into it, but I'm telling you, I've, I've seen what you're doing. You guys are doing amazing things. Your growth speaks for itself. What's the biggest challenge? There's a lot of people listening saying, man, I wish I could do that. What have you had to overcome? I think, I think one of the biggest things we've had to overcome is, um, tracking and the data behind it. And so I think, um, you know, when you look at coaching, oftentimes you feel like, Hey, we, we feel like we're coaching a ton. And so how do we track this and, and, and get data to really see the value? Are, are we really creating value in our coaching sessions? So, you know, for, for us, it's, it was overcoming one, when you, when you gave a tool to the sales leaders, having them use the tool. I mean, I think that that's, that's the inherent struggle, right? Is, Hey, I'm coaching, but I'm not documenting my coaching. And so there's really not this line of sight of, Hey, you've identified the lowest form of behavior. These are the steps you've taken in the coaching interactions to change it. And here we see that now these metrics are getting better because of that individualized coaching. So I think really driving people to capture those coaching sessions so they can have their own little data set on what they're doing and how they're moving people along is, has been our biggest struggle. Um, but again, I think it's just, it's going back and hammering away at that. And, you know, we, we've got to get that done and we've got to have that line of sight. What's, when you see, like, if you think about your team right now, I know you've had a lot of successes. Can you think of like a, a success story in coaching that kind of jumps out to you? And I don't care if it's with an individual or a group or whatever, but what was a way that coaching using this approach has really driven a, a meaningful success story at Wayfair? I'd love for you to share one. Yeah. Um, when, when I first got to Wayfair, uh, there were a couple of different reps at, at different locations that were, were really struggling. Matter of fact, a couple of them we were actually looking at, um, moving out of the business. It's just great, great people, great individuals. They just weren't hitting their numbers. Um, and you know, it's always a frustrating thing for them because 
They're highly engaged. They wanted to, to be successful. They, they just couldn't do it. Right. And so they had a quota and they would miss quota and managers would say, well, you got to work harder. And you know, <laughs> people were worrying. It's like, well, what does that mean? Work harder. I mean, and I think that's one of the biggest mistakes we make as leaders is like when we say, you know, do more or work harder, we assume that people know what that means. And, and they're just sitting there going, I have no idea what that means. I, I need a little bit more guidance. And so when, when we instituted the, um, you know, the daily sales activity metrics and especially a metric we call value per contact, which tells that individual how many connections they need individually to meet their quota. What we started to see happen with a couple of these individuals. So just to give you an example of the numbers. So the reps that were, were really good in the, in the org were doing about at that time, about eight or nine connections per day. They were, you know, blowing up their quotas and then what we did is we looked at the individual numbers for these these reps that were were struggling. And so really what the numbers came back with, because their VPC, their value per contact, was so much lower than the successful reps, um, the numbers came out that they needed to make 15, 16 connections per day. And so, and that means every day. That means wow, if you come yeah. in one day and you only do 10, you're behind. So those six don't just disappear. They got to be made up somewhere in the quarter. And so you take that 16 per, you know, uh, connections per day by 61 days in the quarter, whatever that number is. Um, you know, that's what you have to hit. And, and these, there were, I think like three, three of these reps that actually dove in and they said, okay, come hell or high water. I'm going to do these 16 per day. So they knew they were doing twice the activity that these other successful reps were doing. And what we started to see um, at the end of the, so the first quarter they were trying to get there. The second quarter that we were doing this, those three reps were in the top five uh, reps across the organization in, in revenue. And so everybody was kind of like, where'd these guys come from? Right. And yeah. but what was interesting was they were doing twice the work. And so, you know, you, you didn't, you didn't hear any of those individuals say, uh, well, this was unfair. All they were saying was, Hey, I'm in the top five. I'm competing. And the, f- the funny thing was there, they still were not the best reps at a skill level perspective. Um, but they were competing at the top level. Side note though, when you're doing twice the work as somebody else, you're stepping to the plate twice as many times. Um, your skill level starts to increase at a faster level than everyone else. So then what started to happen in quarters three and quarters four was now that their skill level was increasing, all of a sudden those individuals were like, I already, I'm already in the habit of making 16 connections per day. Now mm. I'm better. Why would I ever go back to making nine connections a day? Yes. I mean, good. You could because you could say I don't have to work as hard, but they were already conditioned to do 16. So now they were they were blowing people out of the water, um, you know, on the stack ranking just because their skill level increased. They were already conditioned to do that many. So I think the power of it for us was when you put those metrics into the hands of sales reps individually, they and knowing that they can compete at any level as long as they know individually what they have to hit it's it's incredibly powerful what a killer story i love that story because again as someone who's been around and watched lots of people do this 
I found there's four levers you can pull to help uh, sales increase. It starts with who you hire, what's their level of motivation, what skills do they have, and then what's their understanding of role and task clarity. Most people think it's just as simple as motivating them, but I love how you've just illustrated. It's not usually a motivation problem. They want to win. They just want to know how. So if you can give them task clarity for what it takes for them to win and then task clarity for what it takes for them to achieve whatever their level of, of output, that's the problem that they make, Travis, is too many people say, let's turn it into a game. It's not. Give them that individual coaching, and wow, you just not only help them win, but then they now are ass kickers for you for the rest of their time. Yeah, and the the amazing thing about that, too, is, you know, I think so many, you know, sales leaders, they work people out of the business because they're not hitting their numbers, but they've never been coached. And so, you like, you've got these diamonds in the rough. People that, you know, I mean, for me, I I will take the guy that's highly motivated, working his butt off and not hitting hitting his metrics. As long as he's coachable and, and he's got excitement, man, I'll take that person every day over the guy that's a great salesman, really good, but is just a total sloth on the sales floor. Because, I mean, you know, they may be coming close to their metrics or hitting their metrics, but that's the other side of the story is that you can't leave your top earners alone yep. if they're just meeting quotas because they're leaving money on the table. On one end of it, you've got not making your quota. On the other side of it, you're leaving money on the table because you're great, you're hitting quotas, but you're only spending about four hours a day really working. So, you know, we, there's there's another side to that coin as well. Yeah, that's, I think, maybe you just nailed it, Travis. I, I love this conversation. I could talk to you for an hour instead of 25 minutes because <laughs> I think the biggest mistake we make, my man, is we fail to love the love group. We say, oh, stars, I'm going to leave the stars alone. Huge mistake for what you just said. Not only is a 5% increase in the stars generally bigger than a 15% increase from your kind of core average performer, but your quality of coaching drives intent to stay with the company. And you can't afford – you don't want the stars to leave Wayfair because you just left them alone. So I love it. Dude, this is killer. I can't believe that – we're running out of time. We're, 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 we're coming up on it right now. This has been amazing. I, I knew it was going to go like this. You gave uh, our listeners some really killer things to think about. I want to start to wrap it up with just a couple of things uh, the way I do for everyone. Um, one of the common things for high-growth leaders that I see, and, and, and this has been a fun part of the show, they're consumed with wanting to know how do we get better, and that's why we started this show is they want to hear from guys like you. But I found that all of them like to read things. Is there anything that you have read that you would suggest for our high-growth library? What are things leaders ought to add to that library that have helped you? Um, I think there there's two books over the last year that I've read that have been really impactful for me personally um, just because I think um, any sales leader – out there today knows that there is a massive shift happening um, in the sales world, in, in in particular in the way that people buy. And so I think um, Anthony Ian Arino's book, uh, The Lost Art of Closing, love unbelievable it. book. Um, love that book. I think, you know, there's so many sales books out there that um, kind of give you tips and tactics. And I think what Anthony's doing in that book is he's really giving you um, real world conversations, um, how customers need transparency today. And he just, he just gives you a great way to understand how to close and, and how to do it more effectively. So, uh, that, that, that's huge. Um, love that book. Second, great suggestion. Yeah. Love it. Great. And, and the second book would be, um, uh, building a story brand by Don Miller. 
Um, and, and I think that's, that's a huge one. Um, probably, you know, I, I don't think a lot of sales leaders would naturally gravitate towards that book, but I think what that, that book does, and it, it really is a sales book, is it's teaching you that people understand story and people love story because they see themselves in a story. So how do you tell the value of your company in a story format? Um, so people will gravitate towards it. And really, I think the biggest, a piece of that book that hit me the hardest is that customers see themselves as the hero of the story. And so many businesses today are pitching themselves as the hero of the story. But the problem is when a hero meets a hero, a hero says, oh, you're a hero too. I don't need you. I need a guide. And so if you can change your messaging to show, you know, your customers who see themselves as a hero, see that, see you as the guide to help them get what they're trying to get, you, you, you absolutely change the dialogue and, and it's been amazing for us and we've implemented some of that in our organization. It's been great. I haven't read that one. I can't wait. That, uh, that'll go on our libra- library on the website and, uh, I appreciate you sharing both of those. Um, we're, 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 we're about done now. So I just want to give you a chance to say, if you were to look back and say, with all the amazing things you have done, what um what would you say if you were to wrap it up and say you know here's a couple of things that I, you would you would want to share with the listeners any top one or two things that you just want to reemphasize or share as key catalysts if you wanted to build a great coaching uh, culture like this yeah I I mean one I think um, you have to tie your coaching to your sales model I mean it has to be uh, in a way that you can identify the lowest form of behaviors that are broken. And, and you have to coach to that and you have to coach to it relentlessly. Um, and, and you, you also have to have sales activity metrics, um, that, that are embedded into your organization that every single person knows that no matter what you're doing, no matter what changes are happening, what new processes you're implementing, that your sales activity metrics are, it's really the engine that drives all of those changes. Because if you're not having enough quality conversations, you're never going to move the needle. You can get better if you, but if you're not having enough of those conversations, you're not, you're not moving the needle. Um, and, and last, I would say take the time to find great leaders in your organization. Cause I, I can say, you know, we, we've done some amazing things over the last, uh, few years, but that is directly a result of the great salespeople we have. And I, I've got a great leadership team here at Wayfair and they work so incredibly hard. We, we ask them to change things on a regular basis. And, and this team has gone through so much and find people that are adept at working through change and driving change. Uh, if you do that, um, you, you know, you, you, you're, you're going to be an unbelievable organization moving forward. Wow. I, I love it. And this was epic, epic, great knowledge. Travis, thanks so much. How do our listeners uh, follow you? How do they see more of what you're doing? How do they learn more about Wayfair? There's probably a lot of people that will be interested in, in uh, checking out your B2B stuff as well. How, how, how do they get more of you? Yeah, um, uh, obviously you can go to wayfair.com. Uh, you, uh, if, if you are a business, um, we, we provide a great service to businesses. We basically give you an, an employee that you don't pay for. So, um, they you go in Wayfair professional is our uh, business program. You can check that out. It's really, really great. Um, you can check me out on LinkedIn, Travis Huff, uh, at linkedin.com. So, uh, 
you know, if anybody wants to reach out, I love talking to sales leaders and uh, sharing best practices. So uh, hit me up on LinkedIn, send me an invite, and uh, let's connect. Travis, this has been outstanding. Travis Huff, Director of B2B Sales for Wayfair. He's driving growth 100% year over year. There is no huff and puff in this guy, only execution, okay? He helps every rep on his team get personal success recipes that leads to amazing performance. Travis, this has been outstanding. Thank you so much on behalf of our listeners for joining the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. We'll talk soon. Thanks. How great was that? Travis Huff, head of B2B sales for Wayfair, awesome dude, awesome leader, awesome results. And as I start this so what section where I wrap it up and say, why did this interview matter? I would wrap it up in one simple statement. This interview mattered because talk is cheap. Everyone's talking about execution. Everyone's talking about onboarding. Now you're hearing tons of people talking about coaching. But here's what I've learned. In sales, the one place that I hear a lot of people talk about process is sales process. We don't hear a lot of of, uh, kickback on that. The rise of enablement now has us doing better on onboarding, though we got a lot of work we can still do, uh, and and we'll continue to talk about that. But very few have what you would call a great coaching process. And I hope you caught that. Yes, you need a coaching process. I found it's the most important process that nobody's talking about, except for these most successful leaders like Travis. And... If you look and say, okay, how, how do I know if I have a good onboarding process? My simple uh, test, put yourself in it. Ask yourself, if I didn't know anything about the company or I didn't know anything about the product, and by the way, because you know the company and the product, you know what assumptions you don't want to make, take the stuff. Take, get onboarded. Find out what it's like. Make copious notes on, on where you find yourself making assumptions rather than having things explicitly taught to you or giving you the opportunity to practice, and you'll find very quickly what you got to change. Um, but I want to move past that and say, how do you build a coaching uh, process? And, and what are the things that you need to be thinking about? And the, maybe the safest, most important thing for us to emphasize from Travis's interview is coaching has to be the one meeting, the one time where every rep knows it's 100% about them. Don't ever ambush. Don't ever use data to beat them. Don't ever muddy the waters talking about corrective action or things like that. Instead, make this about forward-looking what skills do we need to develop? What activities do we need to change? And make sure you can create this model of what does awesome look like. I love how Travis shared that individual reps need individual plans. And you can get a brand new one that's been taught all the things they need to know. And while they may have to work harder, they may have to make double the calls or have double the meetings, if they understand that based on their skill set, there is a way to win, they'll do it. We have another great leader here today, Travis, that said the same thing we've heard from the other two already. More motivation isn't the answer. Just work harder doesn't get it done. Having a competition or a game is not going to change their skills. We need to be able to identify what's the missing skill or what's the behavior that needs to change. And if we can show them what that is and why it matters, they'll do it. Then as they start to succeed, you can have people that are not as skilled uh, now competing and beating your higher skill, skilled reps. And as those skills develop through coaching and practice, they will blow by the top people, and now you've got new top guns in your organization. I love that because as these people develop skills, they will keep the same work ethic. They generally don't go back to a, a, a lower level of, of activities. They just want those activities they know they can do to be more successful. So I want to leave you with that. 
I want to leave you with make sure you have a coaching process. Make sure you use data the right way. Help people understand uh, not just what that next area to improve is, but why it matters. And what you'll find is you can create this environment where these motivated people can just blow by everybody's expectations. And as you do that across a team with each individual rep and you stop thinking about minimums and you stop thinking about averages, what will happen is the combined stories of these individuals becomes your story as a leader. And that story will have a, a, more, a more compelling happily ever after than you might have even thought possible. So with that, I hope you enjoyed Travis. I hope you reach out to him and follow him. And most of all, we want to wish you happy selling and remind you, don't worry, because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at www.salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant the modern sales leadership platform for Salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at www.exvoyant.com.